And today we're here with Jamila Sams, the amazing, amazing founder and CEO of Go to Miss Sams, a great consulting firm that works with schools, businesses, and just everyday people that help them create the culture and life that they want. So we want to ask Jamila, who are you and what's your calling? Thank you for having me, Stephanie. I'm excited to be featured on the Bloom Blooming Podcast. Um, <laughs> Jamila Sams. Um, I am an educator um, and I uh, started a company called Go to Miss Sams Incorporated in order to really um, help schools, nonprofits, and businesses connect better with students. But ultimately, I focus on school climate and culture, helping them to create spaces that are equitable, positive, productive and um, really community centered. Um, so that's been my work for the past four years, but prior to that, I've been an educator since I can even remember. Um, started off uh, doing summer camp with the YMCA when I was a teenager. So I've always worked mm. with people. And um, my calling is really to um, kind of what is my motto is to educate, to liberate. Um, most of the young people that I work with are from marginalized communities. And so just helping them to reveal their greatness um, is what I try to do every day um, in every single way that I can. Totally. You just recently did a TED Talk. I think that was in 2018, was it? Uh, 2019. I'm sorry, 2019. And it was at uh DC campus. And the TED Talk was called Why Are You? Um, and what I gleaned from it was about how schools uh, can help and educators can help their students and themselves find their purpose and like what's their why, why are they motivated to do what they do, and just every everyday people it doesn't have to be a student. Well, we're all, I feel that we're all students of life and we're all educators. We all yeah. educate people and inspire. So I think that speaks to your mission even more from what I gleaned from the TED Talk. But why? What motivated you to do the TED Talk and what do you want people to learn from it the most? Mm -hmm. I think what, um, you know, inspired me to do that topic of kind of thinking about why are you is that I find, especially now and just in our current political climate, there's a lot of separation. Um, mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of things being revealed as it pertains to equity um, and these conversations are coming up, but they're kind of coming up in isolation because um, people are more focused on our differences than what things we have in common. Totally. And um, when we think about our first interaction with people, we typically ask, how are you? And a lot of times we don't really stick around for the answer or we just kind of ask it out of a formality. But if we really cared and we really want to find out what makes that person tick. What is it that you know they're either struggling with or things they're doing well with? How can I celebrate them? We really won't know unless we dig deeper. And so the whole purpose of that particular talk at Johns Hopkins was to really you know, spark just this level of curiosity and care in people for us to dig deeper with not only our loved ones, but even complete strangers. You'll be surprised totally. to learn from each other. So things like, you know, racial issues, things like gender biases, things such as, you know, poverty and greed, all of those things would actually not have that much power. Mm -hmm. Look it to a more humane level totally. and we got to know the person behind the, the, the person behind their actions, you know, right. the, there's a reason why we say and we do every single thing every single day mm -hmm. it's we're just as as human beings we're just a sum of our experiences and so i wanted to kind of make it a broad um look into ourselves but then to bring it back to schools and the work that i do i find that a lot of teachers get into this profession again kind of as a formality um right. you know i've actually talked to teachers who said oh well, i didn't make it into this industry so i knew i could teach Oh, wow. When you're talking about working with the most um, marginalized communities, communities that are great and have a lot, a lot of different, you know, attributes to offer and, and, um, but due to, you know, systemic and institutionalized racism, yeah. they do not have the same resources. Um, you can't take someone who doesn't have a love for this work 
and put them yeah. in the most marginalized communities. You'll feel quick. Exactly. So um, that's kind of the work that I do with educators is really helping them to kind of tap into their why for doing their work, which helps mm -hmm. them to then, you know, explore um, different things such as race and equity um, that could then set them up for success when it comes to pedagogy and different things that are being learned in the classroom. But it starts from self-exploration. Um, Definitely. Yes. Yes. And how, how, I love your website. I encourage everybody to go on it because, you know, I read it when you first, of course, created it, go to Miss Sam's, but um, I read it more, like, I read it more and more thoroughly this time. And um, it's funny because it, I, I started my work working with youth and not with teachers. It, they were very much on the sidelines of what I wanted to do because I felt like we had so many adult voices in the research and like, you know, just in the media about Black girls and Black boys. And I wanted to hear what you've had to say, but it took me maybe six years into my career to realize, you know what, I need to be speaking to the teachers because I'm working with the students and mm -hmm. they're telling me, Miss Stephanie, this is so awesome. You inspire me. Thank you. But then they say, but how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to talk to my parents and teachers about this? They're not on board with this mindset. They don't even have this mindset. So how can I like bring my power to the room without them feeling that I'm disrespecting them or that you know, I'm trying to shake things up too much. So how, how did you come to realize, I mean, for you, maybe it was just very clear, but I think that that's a revolutionary idea that the teacher has to work on and the educator has to work on themselves in order to be the best they can for their students. Mm -hmm. um, really just comes from like years and years of self-reflection, even like my yeah. time in the classroom and how and how I showed up as a very young teacher. Um, I started teaching when I was 21 years old. Um, Amazing. And, yeah, and then coming into uh, West Baltimore, I experienced things in West Baltimore that I never experienced ever. Wow, um, and yeah. The, and the disparities and, um, you know, I had everything from HIV positive students to parents mm. that were on um, addicted to crack because that was the beginning you know that was kind of coming out of the crack era in 97 right. um you name it I had it um yeah <laughs> wow. and so I really had to at a very young age even as I'm still trying to explore myself I had to really um reflect on how I showed up each day what my students needed um and at the same time I had great mentors um, other teachers that mentored me to help me to deal with some of the things that were coming up in, in my classroom. So, um, so a lot of self-reflection and I, because I went through that, it's a lot, um, easier and more authentic for me to talk to other teachers. Yeah. You're I, not preaching to them. You're just saying like, Hey, I went to, I went through this. I see other teachers going through this. And there's just some tips that I think can really help you on your journey. Right. Absolutely. Um, and it, it is constant, it's constant reflection, just even mm -hmm. through all my years. And as I transitioned, I got older and I had more leadership um, roles as an assistant principal um, and a dean of students. Um, now I had to look and kind of put my myself in other people's shoes as adults um, and do more adult-based, you know, learning and pedagogy of working with adults. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes that was even harder than working with the students. Totally. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Because they're resistant. We, we forget uh -huh. as educators that we are students too <laughs> and we don't like it. Yeah. I had a very hostile training once of, not hostile, but tense would be the word. Tense um, professional development training. And I had to ease them out of, you know, like I'm here to help. I'm not attacking you. <laughs> like We're on the same team here. Right. But right. yeah. Yeah. And so, um, it's just a lot of reflecting. That's what I always, every single professional development I open up with, there's some type of reflection piece. Yeah, um, yeah. You have to be able to ground yourself in this work in order to do it well. Yes. And I, one thing that I found that's been helpful is asking them to think about when they were in middle school hmm? and when they were in high school and to see like when, and you know, I always ask, um, what's remember try to think back to a moment when you felt that you were treated differently based on some social identifier mm -hmm. right or something that people thought they could see about you based on how you look outwardly or you know and then it immediately like oh oh yeah 
or if even if they have an experience that think about somebody they cared about mm-hmm. or when they first realized that someone would be treated differently based on some social identifier mm-hmm. or the way they appear outwardly and usually it clicks and they don't have time well they haven't made time and I think they just haven't thought about mm-hmm. like what it felt like to be in their student's shoes mm-hmm. yeah because yeah. as adults a lot of times we're on autopilot um and that's so true to we're just trying to get through the day and we don't really uh, in that time for reflection um and teachers depending on your leadership at your school they're very inundated with you know tasks very right. task driven versus culturally driven mm. um and so as a result you know they're not reflecting um reflection has to be my training as an as an as an adult um educator as a leader was in the fundamentals of expeditionary learning and expedition expeditionary learning is all about learning by doing Mm -hmm. um, and learning through a process and learning through community and so that really has shaped my way of looking at education i was just you know i grew up thinking you know there has to be something better than this i always wanted it to be more african-centered so a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. i did as a young teacher with my students was all based in african principles and we Mm -hmm. studied ma'at and you know these were not things that were in the curriculum I just right. knew that my little brown babies needed it. <laughs> and so, you know, to shift as an adult and come across a learning community like expeditionary learning and, um, you know, pedagogy that was based in John Dewey's work, um, it's, it's um, you, you feel part, part of a family. Um, yeah. Those are people that think along those same lines and reflection is built into their fundamental ideologies and principles um, as adults. So then it transfers over to the students and even the parents. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's really how my work today um, is really based in a lot of African-centered principles and John Dewey's work around um, learning, learning by doing and the experience of learning. It's so important. I mean, that's how we learn by doing and not just reading out the textbook. So it's, um, it's very important. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, I of course have some ideas, but <laughs> I want to hear yours. So my next question is, what are some of the challenges that students and administrators, educators and parents have faced in your work, like in your line of work before COVID-19? And now that this pandemic has hit us in a way that nobody, well, <laughs> I won't say nobody because we, we did know, but nobody listened. Um, <laughs> but well, that's another conversation. Um, huh, how, how can we move forward? And you might not have all the answers, but I just want to see what you see on the ground. So what, what did you see as the challenges we faced before? And how do you see that being impacted by the current pandemic? Hmm. Um that's you know that's a very lengthy response right there to answer that I know. Question. I know. <laughs> um so i'm not even going to try to list all the things because i feel like we're just kind of talking about these issues on a merry-go-round right mm. so what do you want to do about them then since because yeah. i get i get or, exactly what you're saying or even what, the, what do you think we should do well, even to start at the root of from a policy-based perspective in eradicating some of these things right so you talk about um inequities right we talk about racism we talk about systemic and um uh, institutionalized racism we talk about Mm -hmm. gerrymandering we talk about redlining all of those things (laughs) play a role um in the root causes of why our kids are you know basically on the uh, negative side of this opportunity gap. It's not even an achievement gap because our kids are so intelligent. So, yes. Um, yeah. It's an opportunity gap. It's an access gap. Thanks um, for changing that, that narrative. That's very important. Yeah. Our kids are extremely intelligent. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, don't get me started. We're so intelligent. Yeah. Um, yep. And resilient. Um, yes. So what I would love to see, because none of this is going to change by just having conversations about pedagogy, like, it's helpful, yes, um, but I think from a policy standpoint, 
we have got to get rid of tax-based education, mm, tax -based yes. funded education. Totally. We have to get rid of red line. You're failing already from that. Like, there's no money there. <laughs> Come so, on. if you're really about equity and you're really about making sure we have um, a level playing field, that's the first thing that needs to go. Yes. And I've yet to hear any politician make sweep that, that under the rug. Yeah, I have yet to hear any politician make that the forefront of mm. their education plan. Totally. To get rid of tax-based education, funded education, because we're already at a disadvantage for our communities who may not have the same level of, the parents don't have the same level of income as a, a more affluent community or a wealthier mm. community. And so the wealthier community uses that money in order to fund all types of additional resources and um, activities and incentives and all types of things for the children versus, you know, a lower income community, you know, again, based on their taxes, they don't have it. So that's the first thing that needs to happen. And I think Definitely. once we level at least that playing field in terms of the resources, because now what's happening, the digital divide has always been a digital divide. Yeah, we're just highlighting it now. It's very, very clear. Yeah, so yeah. now, you know, we rip the rug up and boom, there it is, digital divide. It's always mm -hmm. been there. So, yeah. um, and now all of a sudden, you know, we can make a call and the same laptops they said they didn't have all of a sudden appeared. Where were right. they? Storage, you know, did you pull <laughs> from a budget that just miraculously appeared? Like, right. where did they come from? So it's like, if you really want to... <laughs> <laughs> correct some of these things you can but right. i think at the root of it is how our education system is has been set up and designed from an institutional practice um that needs to be changed so once mm -hmm. everybody now has a even a level playing field so the kids that are in this uh wealthy community have the same resources as the kids in west baltimore once that happens right. then maybe we can start to address all these other things but right now we're still addressing these things but you know at the most part we might be changing some hearts and some minds but in terms of lasting impact you know we're, we're fighting upstream it's happening our kids are graduating our kids are going to college you know they're going on to do great things but we are constantly fighting upstream our teachers are stressed out um and it's not fair it's really yeah. So let's stop spinning our wheels with these things and really get to the root of the problem. And someone mm -hmm. needs to have the um, the boldness and the audacity to challenge how we fund schools. Totally. Totally. Can't say anything to that. You're right. Okay. All right. So I do have to move you back, though, because mm -hmm. um, you actually answered my next question, which, which is what cities can do about this. And you just did it. Um, but moving back to the school, what do you, well, actually moving away from the school for a moment, um, what do you think? Because the moment this happened and, you know, we kept seeing, which of course I understand we need to stay at home. Yes, yes, yes. But mm -hmm. I thought about all those girls where home was not, did not feel like home and couldn't feel like home. Mm -hmm. and, and not just girls, but everyone. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know how connected you are to the students you've worked with or parents, but or even just based on what you can glean based on your previous work, but what do you think COVID-19 means for the safety and well-being of some students who may have had struggles at home and very little social safety nets that they can go to under such intense conditions? Yeah, I mean, it's just being exasperated. I mean, now it's, it's a situation where school at one point was a safe haven for mm -hmm. a lot of our kids and unfortunately now um them being at home and you know you know having to witness things that no child should have to witness or experience um yeah I'm sure that's happening more than we can even imagine so I've just been really as an individual and my circle of friends and educators we've just been really vigilant in mm -hmm. anything that we do know we're able to, you know, make calls about or check in with, and it's all about not just your young people, but checking in with adults. It's just, totally. I'm, I'm hoping that, my hope is that 
as a human as a human race, <laughs> global mm-hmm. race, we are being more vigilant about checking on our neighbors, yeah. right? When I say neighbors, yeah. I mean literally our neighbors or you know people that we we know or kids that we know. Um, I think it's really important to just just make a phone call, you know, stop by but not go in, just kind of wave at the doors, everything okay. Um, totally. When this first started. I was out in um, East Baltimore, just kind of passing out information. Yeah, um, I saw you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just um, passing out information just so that people are aware of what's happening. A lot of times totally. we have the information, we get mis- misinformation um, mm-hmm. in our communities. So I'm, my hope is that it's causing people to be a lot more intentional with checking on others. But you know, that's something I think about every day about the children and, you know, people that are being adults that are being abused that are still in these spaces and they can't get help. Um, mm-hmm. so try to just share as much information as possible because there are some nonprofits that are still um, and state agencies that are still responding to the call. But it's just a okay. matter of does that child or that adult have the safe space to make the call? Exactly. The home right. With the person. So. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, like I said, you know, it's, it's cliche when they say, see something, say something, but I think, um, you have to, you, you really do have to, um, yeah, yeah. Well, totally. I, I remember you leading, um, I didn't say, but Jamila and I, well, Jamila hired me, um, years ago, I guess that was 2014. It's been a while now, <laughs> um, to work at Mentor Foundation USA, which was a nonprofit, um, in DC where we worked with, um, youth from, uh, education, uh, uh, economically disadvantaged communities um, to just provide them with life skills and social emotional learning skills and mentors. And one thing that I saw Jamila do all the time was help us to train mentors. And I'll never forget in her slide where she taught mentors, which were, you know, business professionals from every sector um, and people who identify themselves as business professionals, meaning that, you know, they lucky enough, like you said earlier, to have opportunities that others did not um, and saw openings, but saw the importance of giving back. But I I remember when you talked about human development, you had this slide where you talked about um, human development from like birth to adulthood. Mm -hmm. And that slide always stuck with me because you, you merged the, you know, the psychology, the biology, and the, just the, the sociology together and, and the neuropsychology. And that just, that just really opened my eyes up. And I'm the whole time we're talking about like what these kids are f- maybe facing at home, those who are, I thought about the importance of creating some kind of online uh, platform or, um, I don't know. Yeah. What, the reason I'm holding back to say platform is because if you already have a digital divide, most people have data and plans, but how much data, mm-hmm. right? I'm wondering like, is there a way that someone can create a kind of relatable training for for parents who might want to do better with their kids, mm-hmm. but feel struggle like they're struggling to connect. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, I'm just throwing it out there. This is toning out on the plan of like questions I have for you. Uh-huh. But what do you think the promises and or how can we connect with parents who are already like struggling economically and socially to learn some real tips? that we would provide otherwise in a professional development, but in a parent training so that they don't A, feel judged because that won't help, mm-hmm. but where they feel like, hey, I can do better with my kids. This is how, I don't know. Did any thoughts come to mind? I know that's not really um, um, in, in the plan. In theory, right, it's important, obviously. Um, and pre-COVID, you know, it was definitely possible to do face-to-face yeah but now that we are dealing with a situation where communication is virtual for the most part mm-hmm. um, unless that parent has access to the internet and we can do something like a zoom or if you can do it over the phone mm-hmm. um, or ig like ig you can do uh video yeah. chats and it's something a lot of people use like mm-hmm. something that's more accessible yeah. something that they go to mm-hmm. more often than not oh. even facebook Mm-hmm. Yeah, where there's a will, there's a way. And as long as they have the technology, you can do that. Um, yeah. If you don't have technology, you know, I'm encouraging people to reach out to families via phone. Yeah. Whatever it takes, you know, like, again, we've, we've, we haven't 
been through COVID, but <laughs> we've been through a lot worse. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, totally. we are very resilient people. So whether mm-hmm. it's starting the free food program, like the Panthers or, you know, starting our own school, like, you know, shout out to my alma mater, Lincoln University, you know, <laughs> it's, we will make it happen. Totally. So, you have a choice. Right. It's just, you know, for those that are able and willing, and I stress that because this, these are very traumatic times. So not everybody, people may be willing, but not psychologically able. Right. If you are able and willing, reach out, you know, reach Mm -hmm. out, start a parent um, community some way, somehow, either online or a phone tree. Um, But, you know, we just kind of have to, we can't wait for anybody to save us. No, we we no. have to do the work ourselves, um, and that's all about getting back to our roots and building community. Totally. What work do you want to do going forward? Like, because and the reason I'm asking all these questions, even the ones that may have unknowns, is because someone will hear it. I've had so many times if somebody's heard something a guest has said, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, ding ding ding," mm-hmm. or they go and hire that person. So, mm-hmm. what what would you like to offer? Um, like, if you someone out there hears like what mm-hmm. what would you like to provide going forth so i have i created a product it's called um we do it for the culture um curriculum for middle school and high school students um i totally understand the importance of starting early and and making sure that our babies have those sel competencies i totally understand that but my frustration um, when it comes to that is that oftentimes we think it's too late to work with the right and, and we can't think that yeah it's, it's never too late right I'm still never. I'm 44 years old I'm still totally and so, can I just say one thing mm-hmm. on on a, a on a um like a biological level this like because for those that may not know like you they might think oh she's just saying that right? And you're 44, you can learn, but no, like, this is real science, like, <laughs> neuroplasticity is real. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, for the naysayers out there, it's important for you to know that this is true. It's not just an opinion of Jamila's. It is true that you can always learn, and that's important for our policymakers to know that as well. So uh, please go forth, but I just needed to Yeah, we're all that. right now. I'm, I'm trying to figure out this, you know, yeah, out and totally. how to it, so... We're constantly learning, and sometimes life gives us opportunities to to learn. Um, yes. But we're not running on autopilot, so this is shaking everybody up to learn differently. Um, but I say all that to say I, I created this curriculum to um, give parents, give teachers, um, school districts the opportunity to have real talk with students. I think a lot of times we skirt behind, we skirt by the the real issues that students want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am a true bona fide hip hop head. I'm <laughs> I love hip hop, always have. And so I use the music that our students listen to and the media that they watch. Um, and I pull out whatever gems I could pull out in order for us to have real talk conversations about life, about um, social emotional learning skills um, that are infused within you know their daily interactions. Um, and so that curriculum is currently in six schools in New York. Um, Congrats. That's awesome. And um, working to um, make it more available to nonprofits and after school programs, because everyone kind of has this intention of wanting to have these real talks. But a lot of times, if you're taught to teach content and not students, you don't know how to have these conversations. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that this is a tool that um, you know, all different levels, whether it's individual educator, parent, um, I've had parents reach out to me for this, um, curriculum during this time because they want things to do with their students at home. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's doing well. I'm hoping to get the word out even more and, um, you know, get ready for the online version. So right now, most of the, um, lessons have hyperlinks to various media outlets. Most of it, I would say 80% of it is YouTube. Yeah, um, and we made sure that you know profanity and things like that didn't show up 
Um, and if it does, it's a little disclaimer. Um, yeah. You know, it's the real part, right? It's the real part, right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I've gotten good, good uh, feedback from it. And so the more people that are using it, the better. So that is really my focus um, moving awesome. forward is to um, kind of create that space online. And then eventually the 2.0 version will include opportunities for students to use the um, lessons themselves, kind of self-directed. My Mm -hmm. goal in life has always been, um, and I'm a lot older, I know, but (laughs) you know, each is nothing but a number, (laughs) Jamila. You're familiar with the Teen Summit. Um, It was a BET show. Yeah. Uncle, what's that guy's name? Oh, wow. Different hosts throughout the years. But, okay, uh, all right. Teen Uncle Sun- Jeff. Uncle, uh, you know what I'm talking about? That's not him. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, Jeff, uh, did he host Teen Summit? He may have. But yeah. But I, I get a, what you're saying, though. It was like basically <laughs> this forum where young people could talk about major issues. And yes. Hip hop and video, music videos and artists in order to connect with the students. That's and awesome. I can bring that back um, yeah. in a totally mm-hmm. different way because, you know, our students aren't even watching TV like that anymore. Everything happens. That's right. true. Um, that is what I'm hoping to um, do through this curriculum. Right now, again, it's more based for educators, but eventually um, it's going to be a platform for young people. So That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's something that they're craving and, uh, you know, it's our job to create new medium. Like, I mean, you look forward and we look right now, where are teens? They're on IG, they're on TikTok, right? Um, sort of Snapchat. And those are the places that, and YouTube, a lot of them use, they use YouTube as well. So, I mean, I think that they're open. And then there's going to be VR. There is VR, but then that's an affordability issue so far. So I think that whatever you do, you can always put on a new platform. And I think educators right now, needs to be thinking about that too like how can you reach them because zoom is not you better make zoom fun because <laughs> if it's not they're checking out quickly yeah, and exactly. yeah yeah but I, I think that's a great idea and um I mean all the teams that I I've been lucky enough to connect with after I do talks they I always say like go follow me on IG and they do and like we still talk in the messages like it's it's really awesome and most of them say the thing that they're missing the most is, of course, their friends. And some say their teachers, if they had a good relationship with them and family. Um, so I think that the idea of self-directed learning is su- super important. Mm-hmm. And I know for the culture, it's going to be awesome. So whatever way I can support, this is one of them. People hear it, but I'll make sure to put the links, um, whatever links you have, okay. and share them so people can check it out um, and see the great work you're doing. Thank you. And you're uh, your work is... Is, is still phenomenal and I'm so glad that you're in those spaces working with Thank you. adults and young people especially in the independent schools um, yeah. a lot of these these conversations need to happen but people forget about those spaces so thank yeah. you you know shedding some light on these things um, in the private schools thank you yeah it's important and it, it's funny like when you said um, at the beginning it's not about um, the achievement gap. It's about opportunity. And I, I always bring that up when I go into any private school, especially because, you know, it's not about like, you know, we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that conversation exists, of course, in public schools, because there's this idea that students are, okay, so it's all Black and Latino students, okay, but they're, they're not homogenous. They are diverse. They are each unique right. and different. And we cannot forget about the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation in public schools because if we don't feel included we don't feel safe we don't feel well and um and and therefore I've realized like my own self-reflection this is a public health issue (laughs) like it's not just the nicety of saying um oh we need to work on diversity equity inclusion no like you actually do because this affects even like your white students your like um you know heterosexual well-off white students it affects everyone because we all are trying to discover who we are and who we want to be. And I just think that it's ironic that those things, those conversations, unless schools tap into them, both public and private and charter, we, the students won't be left in this like limbo space. 
Because mm -hmm. now we have to like force the idea of community if they didn't already feel a part of one. Because mm -hmm. now we're using online systems. Um, but those <laughs> lingering ideas, like the way that they were treated, it's, they didn't forget <laughs> just of their own. So I think that this is an engagement issue. It will shape what the students can know and learn. Mm -hmm. And we've had so many industries affected by this pandemic that this is the time where we need students like your TED Talk to think about what is their why because new and innovative ideas, new industries will form. And now we can't just talk about it like we did like, oh, in the next 50 years, new technology will be created and new industries and new jobs that never existed. No, like right now, <laughs> some industries will not come back. And that's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it has to be. And I think this is a great time to do like Jamila says and help students think and yourself, what is your why? Because that's going to lead to the magic, mm -hmm. you know? So that's my little spiel, but um, I'm wondering how what you, um, like with, for, um, for the culture, what do you, can you give people a little taste or like, even if you haven't done it yet? Um, well, I'm sure you have, so you've done it already. And you guys, it's trademark, so like, it's hers. <laughs> Use this and, and call Jamila when you have ideas if you want to collaborate. But how, what do you envision? I'll say it like this. What advice do you have for parents to help their students figure out their why? Because in the past, we kept saying, oh, be a doctor, be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. how, how would you like suggest they help students tap into who they really are? Well, what they want to learn about yeah i think um i think it first has to start with the parent assessing their own why because mm. we have a lot of parents especially um you know my generation and older who grew up in an era it grew up in the the era of get a job for security uh, um, yes. you know, we were talking about getting a job versus getting a career and pursuing your passion mm -hmm. um, and so it, it requires the parents to kind of look at themselves and, you know, for them to kind of put themselves in their child's shoes and, you know, think about at their age, what were they passionate about, but maybe it was celebrated in the house. Maybe it wasn't. Um, and how that impacts how they react to their child's why. Because yeah. um, usually our why is really based on our experiences. So what type of childhood that child had may impact their why. Um, and so there's no real textbook way. I think the, the best thing to do is to ask yourself these same questions. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if money was no object, what would I do for a living? Yes, um, that's always my go-to question. Yeah, like Real. once you figure that out, then you have to unpack whatever that is. Why is that? Is it that you love it? Is it that it sparks something in you? Is it that you see that whatever that is helps other people? And again, once you start to unpack it, you'll realize that you're living out your purpose based on the experiences that you've already had. And so young people don't have, they have experiences. Absolutely. They may not have as many years of experience, but they definitely have experiences. Yeah. Or so that we can expose them to what's, I think that's another thing, exposure. Um, on top of their experiences, even if they have a little bit of passion about something, like my niece loves to bake, right? But, you know, so I've tried to like get her cooking classes and because I have the financial means to do so. Of course. And at, you know, when she's um, home encouraging her mom, like she really likes to bake, even if you do something simple or I bought her like an easy bake, you know. Right. Just something to get her excited and then yeah. I show her other entrepreneurs who are her age that are you know start off with a lemonade stand or cupcakes mm -hmm. or what have you to let her know it's possible yeah um, and then let her figure out her why you know it, it may be baking she may decide to go in another direction I don't know but the more exposure we can give and if you don't have the financial means to expose them to things you know that's where things like YouTube do come in or other mm -hmm. things that are free that you can expose yeah. them to um, and then doing things with them at home. And again, again, if you're able to, because again, I know a lot of families just 
under certain circumstances may not be able to. Right. So it's, it's about trying to make whatever time you can. If it's 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes. If it's an hour, it's an hour. But tap into what drives your child. Tap mm-hmm. into their personalities, their innate gifts, um, and get them to understand they're powerful beyond measure now. Mm-hmm. So yes. They yes. Until they're adults. Whew, say it again. <laughs> they don't have to wait until they're quote unquote adults to figure no. it out. Help them to start thinking about it now, mm-hmm. um, and and really tap into their purpose. Journaling is something real simple that parents can do with their child. Um, give them like questions each week to think about and talk mm-hmm. about. We got to make time for those very um, n- rich and nurturing um moments so Mm -hmm. they kind of tap into themselves so it's not easy but um it has to be doable and it gets easier as you go and i really appreciate because if you don't notice you got into more you started off saying you know it's no textbook answer which is true but (laughs) you just got into a flow state of giving a whole bunch of great advice (laughs) and i appreciate it because it's just like working out i always give this example to people when you first work out it feels like crap you feel like you're about to die. you like, I can't do this. I can't fit it into my schedule. I can't do it. I can't do it. But the moment you like just lift that leg, lift that arm, no matter how challenging, it's going to hurt just like talking to your kid about these issues mm-hmm. because you might not have resolved them for yourself or even had a time to think about them. And now it, my call, even though it is painful and everybody like, yeah, it's easy to say me to sit here and say that when I, I do have what I need at the moment, even though with struggles, but um, even when I didn't have what I needed, I realized that I had to ask myself those questions because I couldn't go to any new level of anything. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't do it, get a friend to ask you the questions, Mm -hmm. somebody that can be an accountability partner. Um, So because once you get through that hard part with your kids, they're going to trust you more because they all just want to be seen and heard and like for in the good way. Mm-hmm. you know so I just I thank you for your um advice because I think that when we have these questions we can make them into games we can make them into activities where there's some reward that yeah. reward might be a cookie <laughs> or yeah. half of a cookie or when you yeah. bake you know mm-hmm. but like you can ball with your kids and then they'll come to you for all those other tough issues mm-hmm. um that will hit you even harder as they grow into adolescence so I would encourage everybody to follow Jamila's advice and suggestions and all which we already know to really connect with our kids and with our, our fellow adult friends and family members. Because on the other side of this is life too. And if you don't create your reality now, like envision what you want, you can't get to, it's like using a, a GPS and not putting in a destination. Like where you going? Mm-hmm. And um, I think if people take small steps this can it can work for them um and of course with time and help mm-hmm. but i'm on to my last question for you and because i had many of us but we, we can't get, we can't do all that um because but you answered most of them already um so my last question will be what advice do you have on what habits actually not habits first mm-hmm. what mindsets and habits can help individuals support um creating their own like cultures of wellness in their family and their schools and their businesses so what mindsets first and this can be from your own experience or what you've seen in the research whatever mm-hmm. but what what mindsets do you need to build first to like cultivate um a life that's centered on wellness or a company or a business or school and then what habits do you need to practice to make that a reality mm-hmm. um I think first and foremost, um, we have to get comfortable with owning whatever's there. Um, a lot of time, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's an individual, um, a collective, or even an organization, we try to um, put on a facade that everything is okay. Right. Um, and we don't really want to pull back the curtain and see what's really happening. Um, we know it's back there, but mm-hmm. um, we don't want to talk about it because it's, you know, we think it's easier in order to ignore it. Um, mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing now with our kids is um, just the importance, and, and everyone really, just the importance of owning your emotions 
in the moment yeah um, and don't mm. don't run away from them like you know Thank we you. that's why substance abuse is so rampant because we don't want to face or own what's happening right so something a vice something whether it's you know drugs or shopping or eating yeah. um, something to to mask those emotions so i think mm-hmm. the first thing is to just own it um and then once it's owned kind of unpacking where it came from the root yes. of it and for the, you know, every level is different as an individual it might be therapy or it may be, um, you know, journaling, it may be prayer, you know, whatever the case is mm-hmm. uh, for a collective or an organization, you may have to go back and really look at the purpose of your organization and your mission and your vision. So yes. it, it really depends on the outlet, but I think first thing is owning it. And then in terms of the habits, it's just a matter of constant reflection, reflect, reflect, identify, and refine, mm. and start all over again. Um, yeah. Because we're constantly evolving. I mean, COVID nineteen is definitely showing us that we have <laughs> to evolve. Yeah. So in order to evolve, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with individuals and organizations through you know professional development over the past couple of weeks. And the first thing we have to do is own what we're feeling. Yeah. And then once you can own it, you can start to unpack it and you can start to deal with it and you can start to change it. But if you're not owning it, then right. you're authentic to yourself or to anybody else that you come in contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that would be, I guess, the habits is constant reflection, constant refinement, um, and then start all over again try you know try new try new approaches um that meets the needs of yourself or your organization and then try them and then reflect on how they're working if it's working keep going if it's not pivot and (laughs) and try it again um but i mean that's just human nature um constant evolution um and so i think the hardest part of that cycle is owning it yeah. And knowing you're not failing by owning it, you're not losing anything. In fact, you're growing. Because I think it feels like failure a lot. And people haven't, when they realize that they've done something or something has been done that didn't fit the mission and value of that person, like themselves or their organization. And I think that we have created a culture where failure and our students, they share that with us all the time, that they feel like they failed and that pauses them. But we have to own the failure and know like it's just a lesson right to be learned now let's keep going um really, and i appreciate that no go ahead yeah, no i think it really comes down to the choice between wanting to survive and mm, the try yeah hundred yeah. percent yeah that's what that's what moves moves the needle what choice yeah. making the choice to survive are you just going to fight through this not own your emotions as you just try and get to the next thing yeah or are you going to set yourself up in a position where you can thrive totally and you have to do the work and ask for help and then do the work again and exactly. you know be vulnerable mm-hmm. i think that's the key to everything mm-hmm. success in life and business and um i hope i think this is a perfect time although uncomfortable where i think the universe is kind of forcing us to do that uh, individually and collectively the question is will we listen and will we reach out mm-hmm. because if not i think we're just going to be we're going to be suffering a lot even more than we have to right um yeah wow well thank you jamila i mean i i always it's always an honor to speak to you um i mean like i always tell you <laughs> i let the world know and and i will say the world because we actually have an international audience now we have people listening in canada um oh, costa yeah. yeah costa rica south korea um uh sweden it was this is awesome it was just like this is awesome so yeah but so i will let the world know how much you changed my life um you know you really did show me by taking the leap to create your own company that it, a it could be done and that you have to bet on yourself because if you don't um nobody else can advocate for you like you do and um i think each that's what you showed me or even that i think it was like a five-hour work work day it was like this book i i never was like hey yeah yeah Yeah. like that change just seeing it on your desk like so i'll say this i'll I'll stop you know um putting you on the pedestal and all that's not my (laughs) intention but 
but my goal is it's just like you you um started as a boss became a mentor and then a friend and all of that and um i just want to encourage other people to just keep being your truest self um your your most well professionally of course the best you can but sometimes we need to be vulnerable with each other mm -hmm. because i i allow jamila for showing me her best and her vulnerable spaces um and the best way because it allowed me to see um life and mm -hmm. it allowed me to be able to cope with the um any turbulent waters that came my way but if she had it i would just go and think you know everything is nice and perfect and i'm a stronger person because of what you showed me um so i appreciate that and i encourage everybody to find their own way to just be their most authentic selves in front of people you care about and can trust at least mm -hmm. because you you don't know well in fact i can tell you from the thousands of people I've met like you will change their lives you just don't even know how and you don't know when it will hit mm -hmm. but just keep being you and mm -hmm. it will help them to bloom mm -hmm. so um the last thing is where can people connect with you um so that they can reach out and experience your genius sure um so I am on Twitter at go to miss sams as g-o-t-o-m-s-s-a-m-s um same for Facebook go to miss sams and on instagram i am at uh advisory for the number four the culture advisory mm -hmm. for the culture and yes. uh, instagram will be launching hopefully within the next week or so um yeah. just kind of rebranding advisory for the culture um totally. and then my website is go to miss sams.com Awesome. And we'll um, get all these links from Jamila so you guys can easily click on them from the podcast. Um, if you're listening, you clearly are already on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other available platform, but please do share this with anybody that you think can benefit and just that this can help. And as you see, the Blooming is a Habit podcast, it reaches people of all ages because just like Jamila, we're all about real talk real caring and kind, but firm and kind. And if we're not doing those things, we're gonna lose the trust of the people that we want to trust us. So uh, Jamila, thank you for your time. Thank you for all you poured out into the world internationally. I must say, um, it's been an honor to watch, no, it's been an honor to watch your trajectory. And I hope that people spend some time to get to know it. That's one way that I've become um, the person that I've become by watching other people and making my own story and just knowing that I can do it if they can do it. So um, you've touched, I don't even know, I, you can't probably even count how many lives, Jamila. And I just want to thank you for everything you pour into the world and just keep going, keep going. So thank you. Thank you. Of course. All right, you guys. Well, let's keep blooming. Let's keep making blooming a habit and find your space every second, every day to reinvent yourself to the person that you want to be. Have a great day.